Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clutch. This is Marianne Russo saying hello to Chuck Wally and Mae Wilkinson over on our Twitter tweet chat. and Hopefully they'll be calling in as well. Tonight, I am really excited to bring Dr. Jerry Weichman as my guest. Um, he has just so many um, tools to give parents to help them through raising their teens and their tweens because the problems do start early. Um, Dr. Weichman is a psychologist, an adolescent specialist, an author, speaker, and a parenting expert. Uh, he's dedicated his career to enhancing adolescent skill development in all areas of our teens' lives. And um, anyone who has a child who is misbehaving or is out of control, it's usually because they lack skills. And uh, he has a unique perspective on, you know, a lot of what the teens are going through. In, in his life, he's uh, struggled with a lot of adversities. And uh, to deal with it, he created the tool belt. And that is what he's going to share with us tonight. So welcome, Dr. Jerry Weichman. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, how you're so in tune with a, with a lot of these teens are going through. Yeah, not a problem. Well, um, you know, when I was born um, in early childhood, I actually had my right leg, my right foot amputated. Um, so I had to learn to walk with a prosthetic leg, and um, I suffered a lot of body image issues and self-esteem problems growing up. And, you know, self-esteem is naturally low at this age, but it was compounded by what I was going through. Um, you know, fortunately, I had athletic ability, and, um, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up. And when I was in high school, um, you know, it just became really kind of frustrating to me because I saw it as so clicky and judgmental and, I didn't feel like a lot of people saw me for who I was or who I would be, and I started feeling really helpless and hopeless that life was always going to be this way. Um, it, like I said, I was blessed with some athletic ability, and I actually went on to play Division One college football. And um, when I was in college, I got to see, you know, really just how great it was when you get outside of high school. You know, the, there's so much more diversity. People are so much more accepting and all I wanted to do was go back to work with teenagers at that point to kind of be a beacon for them along the way and kind of show them what was over the wall they couldn't see over or through. And that is so important. I mean, I have a daughter who's, you know, already graduated college, and um, I have two that are still in high school. And it, it really is. I mean, the world just opens up for these kids. And, you know, I, I tell them, if you can get through middle school and high school, you can get through anything. So, um you know, it's it's such a great message that you're you're giving the kids, and you know I think that it, it's difficult because, you know, a lot of kids just don't get to have that support, and it just seems that depression and anxiety is epidemic. You know, I mean, I remember kids having the blues when I was growing up, but I don't remember anything like this. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a lot more difficult, and I think that you know you know there's there's a number of reasons for that. Um, one is it's 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 harder to get into colleges nowadays, so there's a lot more stress and pressure on the kids. But I think the the bigger thing is that um, now with the invention of the internet and smartphones, it really changes things for today's teens. Um, you know, information is traveling so fast, and you know you're constantly seeing what everybody else else is up to and what what they're doing. And in addition to that, you know you see the negatives. You know the Online bullying is really prevalent. You, you start, you know, seeing what everybody else is doing, and you know, people can negatively affect you in a myriad of ways now. And there's no way to really get away from it. So it's definitely much more difficult. Right, and you know, I even see it with the tweens. You know, they they seem to really be struggling a lot more than I remember. 
you know, it's just it's a tough time. And, you know, that's why I was really glad that you could come on because it's a tough time for the kids and it's a tough time for the parents. And, yeah, um, you know, the you, majority you know. of the the majority of the parents that listen to the show have children with special needs, so they have that extra responsibility and that extra burden. Um, so, you know, how how would a parent that, that does have this as a special needs child and may have other children that are neurotypical, you know, how do you find a balance? Well, I think for the parents with special needs kids, it's, you know, it's really important that, you know, instead of trying to, you know, covet or try to fit in, that parents, you know, teach their kids to embrace what they have. Um, you know, I think that was a big issue for me instead of fighting it, welcoming it into my life because, you know, it's the kids that really embrace this and accept this as part of themselves and, you know, work it, so to speak, um, that really get the admiration of, you know, a, a decent amount of their peer group at school, even if they're not friends. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of things that parents can do to, to help kids with special needs. Um, you know, so often in life, you know, the kids see negatives about themselves. They see their special need as a as a problem, and they don't. See, and if they start getting a habit of looking at what's not right, they start seeing a lot of what's not right about about themselves. And as a result, their self esteem and their confidence plummets. So certain things that parents can do is acknowledging what those positives are and continually reiterating that to them. You know that they're they're a, a great person and they're intelligent and all these other things. Um, as that starts to get ingrained in these in the kid's head, it starts to really raise their self-esteem and confidence. Um, one thing I work with kids, not just kids, special needs kids, but regular kids that come into my practice at the same time, is is looking at the positives on the self and focus and teaching them to focus just specifically on that, because if they can do that they realize that they really are the whole package, and they're bringing a real quality product to the table, and that allows them to do a lot socially. You know, if you don't see me for who I am, it's your loss. If you don't invite right. me to a party or want to date me, I feel bad for you. Right, absolutely, you know, because I, I say it all the time that, you know, these kids aren't special just in their needs but in their, you know, brilliance and gifts as well. Um, you know, and, you know, I think that a lot of these um you know, the, a lot of these children also, they, they, you know, happiness is underestimated, I think. You know, parents are always, I find a lot of parents really pushing their kids to go for a certain profession or what they think is best for the kid. And, you know, I think all parents really have to sort of take a step back a little bit and say, you know, you have to find what's going to make you happy in life. You know, you're going to be doing something every day. You need to enjoy it, you know. Absolutely. You know, I think that the you know you, you my personal belief is is there's a there's a not only you know there's a profession for everybody out there. You come into the world with a special gift of, you know, a special gift of skills and part of your personality and part of who you are. That's you know your gift back to the world. And I think that it's good that parents see that and try to cultivate that in their kids. Things that they're good at, things that they you know special gifts that they might have. But ultimately, you got to give your kids the freedom to pick and choose what they want. The more you can allow them to you know, entertain the ideas of different professions, of different sports, of whatnot, it, the greater the likelihood it allows them of arriving at where they really do belong. Right. But, you know, we're going to hit the bumps. And um, one of the big bumps is um, drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I think that parents, you know, I, I think they're somewhat intimidated by their teens because, you know, the parties are crazy, these unsupervised parties. Um, a lot of parents, you know, the kids say, oh, don't call, don't call. And, you know, the parents back down. And, um, you know, I think parents also at this point think that all kids try pot and all kids, you know, try drinking. 
Um, but, you know, I, I just worry that, you know, for a lot of these kids, it might be self-medicating and not a phase. So how should a parent react if their child, they, they find out their child has smoked pot or, you know, drank at a party? Well, you know, I think it's good to have open communication. I think how you respond to that, you know, makes a big difference. Um, you know, on, a, on, on the back side of the story is, you know, across the country, substance abuse is extremely prevalent and it's getting worse. You know, it's not just the popular stuff that I'm seeing with today's teens and tweens is marijuana, alcohol, ecstasy. Um, you know, back in the day when I was in school, it was the kids that were doing ecstasy were the ravers and the angry kids, and now it's the straight-A students and the prom queen. Um, you know, we've got designer drugs out there, spice, which is synthetic marijuana, salvia, which is a hallucinogen, bath salts, which is a stimulant, and, you know, they're really dangerous, and a lot of these aren't even detectable right. on some of the latest drug tests. Um, the most concerning thing to me is the early exposure. What we're seeing with brain development is the brain continues to develop until they're 25 years old and or around that. And the earlier these kids are exposed to substances, the greater likelihood they have of developing an addiction to any substance across their lifetime. So, to, you know, to answer your question, um, you know, I really think that parents, I've, I can't tell you in doing this for 12 years how many highly invested, highly educated parents have really had no clue what their kids were up to behind the scenes. Um, until it was too late. And so I think as a parent, it's imperative that you're regularly drug testing and breathalyzing your, your teenagers um, and taking a zero-tolerance stance. Um, you know, they'll say that you don't trust me, but, you know, the parental response to that should be, you know, this is how you establish trust with us. You know, this is how we let you out knowing that you're okay and in a good spot so we can sleep well at night. Um, right. I think certain things that parents need to look for, you know, there's certain telltale signs, you know, chewing gum when they come home, changes of clothes, um, going right to bed when they get back, taking a shower, eating a ton out of the kitchen. Um, but I think parents, the conversation they need to have with their kids, which is, you know, this is a zero-tolerance stance. Uh, parents need to understand that teenagers really don't use it in moderation. They don't have moderation as a as part of their vocabulary for the majority of them. You know, you can't give them a yellow light. It's got to be a red light or a green light. Um, and along those lines, as a parent, do not tell your kids about your substance of use or abuse history. It'll happen somewhere along the line, especially as they start hitting high school, um, asking, hey, Mom, did you ever smoke pot or Dad, you know, did you ever try cocaine? Um, you know, my, my personal stance is you got to lie straight to your kids' faces at least till they get to college because, um, you know, the older they are, the less of a likelihood they have of a problem. And if they hear yes out of your mouth, they don't hear anything after that. You know, the way they see it is, well, you did it and you turned out okay. And then if you try to come down on them for it, you know, you're a hypocrite. So right. I think parents need to, you know, commend their kids for talking to them about it. It's the parents that flip out if they find out that their kids smoked or drank or did something at a party or that was going on at a party. And the minute the kids see that reaction, they go, oh, well, I'm not telling mom and dad about this, you know, ever again. Um, so I think part of it is staying calm. You know, if your kid comes home high or drunk, you know, it's probably better you take a break and put them to bed and deal with it in the morning because, right. no, number one, you need you need to calm down and gather your thoughts and approach this the right way. And secondly, you can't have a rational conversation with an irrational person regardless of who that is. Right, and, you know, um, I always told my kids, if you're ever at a party and there's ever drugs or drinking or if your ride, you know, has drank, you call me. I don't care what time it is. You know, they have to have that relationship with you. Um, because it's Absolutely. dangerous. You know, the drugs aren't like they were either. 
Um, you know, yeah. everything is just, it's so tainted and it's so dangerous. And parents have to understand, these kids can go to the 7-Eleven and they can go to the local um, gas station and buy bath salts, which are yeah. horrendous. So, yeah. you know, the, the drug testing is really important. And a lot of parents feel like they're um, sending a bad message to their kid when they ask to do that. But, you know, in my house, the rule was, <laughs> you fail a test, you don't get a car. <laughs> you know, it's that yeah, simple. I like that. Plus, plus you tack yeah. on grounding to it. What I tell parents is, you know, if you a week to a teen, teen or tween is, is a long period of time. Um, typically, what you do is, you know, it, you know, you can't have a zero tolerance stance and typically really enforce that throughout, you know, the teen and tween years, unless you're going to chain your kid to the bed. So they're going to dabble in it if they really want to. But if you're taking a zero tolerance stance, testing them and having tangible consequences like groundings when they do get caught, it really reduces the likelihood of how much they're really going to expose themselves to that, which is going to help with addiction at such a critical time in life where it's all about doing well in school to help get to college, and which affects your job and the rest of your life. Right. And I think that part of the reason for a lot of the children in our population with the special needs and mental illness is that... Um, you know, let's face it, the medications that are out there, you know, they help a little bit, but they really aren't as effective as we would hope they would be. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that everyone gets it now, that it's a combination of talk therapy and medication. Um, but I think that these kids sometimes just, they're so desperate to feel calm, you know, that that's what they do. They try to self-medicate. Or the parents that have a stigma against using uh, psychiatric drugs, you know, it's mm -hmm. tough. Well, it's, you know, it's been clinically proven that the most effective way to, to treat severe illnesses are, you know, a combination of medication with, with talk therapy. No doubt about it. Right. Um, you and know, but you I know, think that, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, par you know the, the parents can also, if you can be proactive with it, you can teach your kids a lot of coping mechanisms to, you know, deal with what they would normally use medications to, or drugs or alcohol to medicate with. I mean, if the kids are self-medicating, some of these kids, it's a social thing. You know, they feel so in, inferior at school and, you know, they're not seen as who they are or who they will be that, you know, if you start dabbling in substances, you start smoking marijuana or drinking, you know, immediately you have a, a group to associate with um, and you have a common, out, a common topic to discuss. Um, but I think that for parents, it's not only just empowering their kids to take a stand for themselves and what's right, but, you know, it's teaching them coping mechanisms, you know, breathing techniques to calm themselves down, ways to look at things positively, because it's not just looking at yourself positively that raises your self-esteem. It's looking for the positive in every negative situation. Um, you know, it's it's things like that that parents can do to, you know, help their kids with, you know, coping just through those these really difficult, crucial years. Right. And, you know, I think parents have to look at these kids that are really um, struggling either with drug addiction or, you know, behavioral issues that, you know, they're in emotional pain. Um, you know, and that's something that really just can't be dismissed. But, you know, it, it's very hard. But like you're saying, the coping skills are so important. Um, you know, my child had a severe anxiety disorder. And it was very frustrating before I understood what she was going through, um, that she wouldn't leave the house and she wouldn't go to school. And, you know, this is the time now where you're going to see a lot of kids starting to have anxiety because school starts in a few weeks. Yes. Um, you know, so what are some of the signs of that and how do parents... Uh, you know, help these kids transition because I mean, it can happen to a senior. It's not the little. It's not just little kids. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And in back to back to school anxiety is really prevalent. Um, you know, I think that 
you know, when it comes to anxiety, it's really, um, it's obviously it's an irrational fear or thought. Um, and so certain things parents can do, how you respond to your kid when they have anxiety makes a lot of difference. Um, you can either feed it or extinguish it. Um, if it's a valid thing, obviously you've got to validate their feelings and talk to them about it. But if your kid's having an irrational fear and you're, you know, getting down on a knee and saying, it's okay, you can do this, you're going to be all right, it really actually serves to feed their anxiety because for them, if you're taking the time to do this, this has got to be a legitimate issue. So what parents can do in these types of situations is if you know, your kid's having, you know, irrational anxiety about stuff or school, um, you know, it's really important you have a somewhat dramatic reaction to that, you know, rolling your head back and your eyes going, oh, please, give me a break, you know, and then switching topics as quickly as possible. Not only modeling for them that they're being irrational, but helping to switch topics helps get them out of their head because this thought, this irrational thought is just continually spinning around and around inside their head. Um, parents can also use what I call the self-fulfilling prophecy to their benefit, which is, you know, really what you see for your kid. I see you doing X. I see you going to school, feeling good, feeling comfortable, having a lot of fun. I see this being a great year for you. I see you meeting new people, new friends. Uh, I see you having a great year. I think it's going to be really good for you. The more they hear that, the more it's almost the power of suggestion. It becomes them. Um, other things that parents can do in that type of a situation is teaching your kids how to exist in the present, in reality. Because um, really, when it, especially with anxiety, you're going to have a problem if you're stuck in stuff that's going on and that's happened in the past or you're worried about stuff in the future. If you can teach your kids to stay in the right here, right now with all of their mind, this is where they find peace. Now, it's okay for them to think about the future as long as they're thinking about what they want to have happen, visualizing it happen, and then going back to the present. Um, but to me, those are really some, some important ways that parents can help their kids. Uh, breathing techniques are also important. I use something called three times, three times, three breathing, which is a real quick fix, which is, you know, just three seconds in through your nose, holding it for three seconds, blowing it out for three seconds, and doing it three times in a row. Um, and when you inhale, you're imagining anything that's stressing you out or bothering you or making you feel anxious. And it just serves to take the edge off of what's going on. Um, even simple stuff like having your kids smile and force a smile and hold a smile, even a half smile for five seconds, makes a difference because there's a conditioned response between the muscles in their face and the pleasure centers in their brains. They can't be extremely anxious and happy at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, when you said before that, you know, we we can't feed into it, um, you know, in a case like my daughter that, you know, she had agoraphobia, um, you know, and, and, and when we would try to say, oh, you know, you're going to love school and, you know, the kids love you there and, you know, you love this class. And, um, you know, my concern always was, am I portraying expectations on her that if she can't do it, would that make her feel worse? You know, like she was a failure. You know, so yeah, you I, know, it was, I really don't. I really don't think so. I think what you're doing in that situation as a parent is you're you're, you're really trying to influence their thoughts and their views of how they're looking at the situation. Um, you know, I think if a kid goes out there and fails and can't do it, um, I don't think that they feel like they're a disappointment to their parents. I think, you know, I remember being anxious as a kid, my parents doing that with me, and um, when I still was anxious in the situation, I didn't see it as a, you know, my parents are disappointed in me because I can't do this. Right. Exposure and response is a beautiful thing, too. Um, it really is. Oh, it, it's it's fantastic. Um, you know, but and for some kids, it's it's a physical problem. Um, and for others, there's bullying involved, and the cyberbullying is out of control. The the smut lists and 
I mean, it's just horrendous what these kids go through. Uh, you know, there's 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 no face to face, and these kids are just disinhibited to be incredibly cruel. So, you know, I know a lot of parents. You know, it's a fine line because you're so angry, you want to get involved and you want to do something, but you're afraid that it's going to make the situation worse. So, if you have a kid that's being bullied, either face to face or cyberbullying, um, you know, how do you address that now before the school year starts? Uh, well, I think it's important for parents um, with cyberbullying and bullying in general um, to teach your kids to see those kids for who they really are. Um, you know, if you look at how emotions work, you know, unexpressed hurt and pain turns to anger. Holding on to that anger devalues you, lowers your self-esteem, turns into depression, um, and it just keeps going through that cycle. And so if you're looking at these kids that are, you know, really lobbing negative stuff out there, these aren't big intimidating presences. These are small kids that are really hurting and, and, and feeling really inferior. Um, and I think you need to teach your kids how to see them for who they are by imagining what could be going on behind the scenes that would make someone feel like this in the first place. You know, they could their parents right. could have just gotten divorced. They could have been molested when they were a kid. You just don't know, but if you can teach your child to think about these things, it actually helps them to rise up above it and have pity for them rather than anger at what they're getting at face value. Um, now, with that being said, you know, typically what you don't want to have your kids doing is responding to that. Um, when you respond to those types of comments, it really just puts gas on it. It's like putting gas on a fire. It just feeds it. Right. Uh, these people that are lobbing stuff out there are looking for a reaction. So if you're responding, they're going, hey, I got this one. I got this kid. And it's a, you know, a really one-up, one-down type of a deal. So having your kids not respond to that, you know, fortunately, if your kid's on Facebook, you can block it. You can even block text now, which is nice. Um, but having them just completely not even reinforce the behavior, eventually the behavior extinguishes. Um, now, if that becomes a, a problem and it continually stop, it, it, it will not stop at all. Um, most of the police departments are developing a, a cyberbullying a department where you can print out some of this stuff and go right to either your school or to the police department with it and have them address it. Um, it typically doesn't go too well when you start approaching other parents. I haven't seen that be very effective because, um, right. you know, sometimes the apple doesn't fall all that far, not all the time, right. but usually the parents are really naive or defensive. Oh, not my kid. I, they couldn't have written this. Or, you know, what did your kid do that made my kid do this in the first place? And it serves to just create then a lot of discord between the families and the community. So, you know, going to the administration or going to the police department is really, I think, a really important tool to use. Right. And, you know, it can, as I said, it can get brutal. But, you know, I I, I always just try to, to take it the other approach that, you know, I, I just try to teach my girls that, that you know, it's them that has the problem or they wouldn't be behaving yeah. this way. Um, you know, and, and not to take it upon themselves, but you know, also it it can be in an IEP. Um, if a child is being harassed and they have um, special needs, it absolutely can be put in their IEP um, that that needs to be addressed. But um, yeah, one thing. I'm sorry. One thing that parents really need to be aware of that a lot aren't is form spring. Um, you uh, know, we Facebook's really popular. You know, and. But FormSpring, for the parents out there that don't know what it is, is it's basically like Facebook, but it's all anonymous. So this is horrible. I've seen the most amazing and horrible stuff come out of FormSpring with kids and teenagers um, because it enables them to lob anything at anybody. 
And so all you have to do is sign up and, you know, someone can see your name and post whatever they want and you'll never be able to trace it back. Uh, I've heard stuff, I've heard so much come out of Formspring. You're fat, you're ugly, nobody likes you, you should just kill yourself. Um, it happens so regularly. And, uh, yeah, all the you know, time. I, I, encourage, I encourage parents to really put a block on Formspring if you can. We have it, absolutely. We have, I mean, Formspring is a nightmare. And you know what, my daughter's never even wanted to go on it because it's just so, it, it's just horrible what they do to each other on there. But I did get a Formspring account. I signed myself on just so I could see what was going on, you know, with friends and kids in the community, and uh, you learn a lot. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, sure. like you said, it's uh, you know, it's, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing for them to go through. You know, that's another thing with these kids with the internet; they don't know who they're dealing with. There's Tumblr, and there's you know, there's just so many things that these these kids are doing now that you know parents really like. I I didn't know. Like I have to go out of my way to learn them, and believe me, I have no interest. Um, you know, but you do. You have to learn about these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what parents need to realize is that, you know, as your kids start becoming teenagers, they really start splitting off two different personas. Um, you know, there's the part of them that they present in front of adults, in front of parents, teachers, coaches, whatnot. And there's their underground persona. You know, it's their sex thing. It's their online video chat strip teases. It's, you know, the substance abuse stuff that they talk about, and they try to really keep the two things separate, and the Internet and texting has been a great vehicle for them to try to, you know, keep it away from their parents. So, you know, I really encourage parents to not just monitor what's going on, but get actively involved, learn how these things work so that you can catch things before they become a, a critical situation for your family. Right, because, you know, these girls get pressured and they, they do something stupid and it just follows them forever. Um, you know, I, I see that so much. Sexting. Oh, the sexting is just, it's horrible. And, um, you know, they're nice girls that are just doing stupid things. And, yeah. um, you know, it ruins their reputation. But then there are these girls. I mean, the girls are starting very young. Um, you know, and I think as a mother, you're terrified. You know that you, you 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 hear about other girls that are you know having sex at thirteen, fourteen years old. I mean, what do parents look for? Because, like you said, at home, you know they're little angels. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's really what you want to be doing is is being proactive and educating them as to uh, you know how this works in the first place. Now, self esteem is naturally going to be low throughout these these years. You know, they're going to feel inadequate and insecure. They want to be popular. And especially, I mean, guys are pumping out testosterone, so you know, you know, they're they're wired that way, and so now they've got you know instantaneous access to your daughter at home. Um, I think you know what's really important is you know for parents to understand, you know, if the guys will start throwing out everything. You know, you're pretty, um, you've got such a rockin' bod. You know, just let me see it, just shoot me a picture. I'm thinking about doing this with you. Um, and I think part of the problem is why girls give in to that stuff is, number one, you know, their self-esteem isn't good, so having some attention from a guy up front feels good. Um, secondly, this is such a prevalent issue that even though they know this is taboo and bad, uh, they get almost desensitized to it because so much of it's going around all the time everywhere that it just becomes a part of what is, and a lot of them give in to it. Um, there's what I call the breakdown process, which is either this is how a lot of guys get um, you know, girls to send naked pictures or take off their clothes online or have sex with them when they don't want to. It's just a continual breakdown process of 
come on, please, you know, and it, and they do it over and over and over again in, in, a, in a bunch of different ways, and eventually the girl just gives in. And then the guy's got that picture, or he's taken her virginity, and it's just that downward spiral from there. So, you know, I think if you can teach your daughters how to hold the bar high for themselves, you know, the minute they start seeing something like this, they just cut that guy out. You know, that, that's where the self-esteem and confidence component comes in. Um, if you know you're the whole package and you deserve, you know, a lot of good stuff from, and the way you hold yourself is where people, the way where you put the bar is where other people meet you. It's just that way with boys, especially. So if a boy comes in below that bar, you just learn how to cut them straight off and cut it out because otherwise they do open and expose themselves to that breakdown process. Right. And, you know, I think one of the problems is that, like you said, it's just so common now that, um, you know, the girls that aren't are the ones that are in the minority. Um, you know, and it, it's 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 really very sad. I mean, I know that we have a, a problem here um, in New York where, you know, we have – Young thirteen, fourteen year old girls having, you know, giving boys oral sex on the school bus. Yeah. You know? I, I don't even know how the, you know, that 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 could happen, but it's happening. Um so you know, parents really need to understand what's going out out there and the pressures that their kids are under. Again, you and know? if you're mo- in this in, in the breakdown process, if you're monitoring what's going on through your phone or through your computer or your kids' com- phone or computer this is where you, as a parent, can step in and shut this down before it starts getting too bad. Um, and so I think having parents having that view into their kids' world is, is imperative for parents to, to, to monitor what's happening. All right. Um, you know, and, you know, we, we, I wanted to talk to you a bit about, um, you know, the peer pressure also because, um, you know, clothes and music really project an image on teens, and I'm guilty of this as well, you know, and I'll admit it straight out. I mean, if if I see, you know, one of other, my daughter's friends coming over and they've got the Daisy Dukes on and, you know, the lace shirt, I mean, I'm thinking this is not a good situation. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, how does does clothing and music affect the kids and how, you know, should I con- be concerned about something like that? Well, you know, I think that what parents have to understand with this particular issue is that, you know, your kids are going through identity development. They're right in the middle of it. They're trying to arrive at who they are, and they're going to go through a lot of different styles and have a lot of different tastes in music before they arrive at who they are. So to some extent, I think it's important for parents to allow them to have some flexibility with that within reason. I mean, uh, if your kid wants a tattoo or wants to look like they're going to go stand out on the corner um, you know, obviously you're not going to let that go. Your son walks out the door with his with his butt crack hanging out. You know, you're going to have to stop that. But within reason, you got to let your kids experiment with different identities because, um, you know, it, it helps them to get, arrive at who they are. Um, and I, I ease a lot of parents' concerns with this issue with the simple question of, you know, how many 40-year-old goth people do you know? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> We had a little technical problem. Dr. Weichmann, are you there? I'm still here. Okay, good. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's 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 just, you know, you, it's the parents that get hung up on it more than others. And, you know, they're all different. Um, you know, I've had one daughter who, you know, when we wanted to go school shopping, you know, for her school clothes, she would pick out, you know, just these really different things, and she didn't really care what anybody else was going to be wearing. Um 
And then I have the other one that likes to get one or two things and wait and see what everyone else is wearing. So, you know, they're all different. And by the way, the one that uh, we used to pick out the unique things is now an executive for a fashion house. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I always tell parents, you know, it's it's really important to teach your kids to some extent stand out. If you've got a kid that likes to stand out, that's a much more positive issue than a kid that's trying really hard to conform. Right. Um, you know, I, I tell kids and teens constantly, you know, why are you trying to why are you trying to conform and fit in if you were born to stand out in the first place? So right. I think you know it's a it's a good parents need to see that to some extent as as a good thing. You know, if you're willing to blaze your own trail in life and not follow the masses, there's a much higher likelihood that you're going to be susceptible, you know, successful and not fall prey to all the latest trends. So what would you say are um, some of the warning signs that parents are missing, and what do teens tell you is the biggest problem they have in communicating with their parents? Um, well, along the warning signs, uh, you know, I, again, I can't reiterate to you how many highly invested, highly educated parents have had no clue what was happening with their kids behind the scenes. And, it, you know, they have to look for really subtle changes in their kids because they become really good at hiding it. Um, so what parents really need to look for is, you know, changes in their kids' sleep. Um, they start sleeping more or less than they used to. Uh, they start eating more or less than they used to. There is an increased irritability. You know, they're they're much more irritable than normal. Uh, depression with for parents, you know, they they think it's depression with teenagers is they can't get out of bed, they're not motivated, they have they can't do anything. But with teenagers, depression is really manifests itself through irritability. So that's a, another warning sign. Uh, if you see a sudden drop in grades, that's another. They become isolative and withdrawn. Um, they don't find pleasure in normally enjoyable activities. These are all red flags that parents need to be aware of. And if you see even one of these, it should kind of get your your light turn your light on and you know get them evaluated with uh, you know a therapist in your area. Um, right. And you know, you know I always tell my kids it's a luxury to go to therapy. It really is. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. Everybody should have therapy. Um, Dr. Weichman, we have some callers, so um, I want to try to take a few before we run out of time. Is that okay? Not a problem. Here we go. Um, area code 703. Hello, area code Chuck. Hey, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing well. Hello, Dr. Weichman. Hello. Hey, uh, I have a question about anxiety. Um, I have a, a 16-year-old son with uh, special needs. He has Asperger's. And uh, he has a real problem with anxiety in relation to sports. Uh, the teams that he likes, he gets so hung up in their success that when they're not successful, he is on a downward spiral that um, cannot be pulled up and sometimes, you know, for weeks. Um, and, and I try to watch out. I try to look for the signs. You know, I know when things are starting to go south and I, you know, try to um, cut them off, but I have yet uh been able to be successful in these uh in these moments. So I'm I'm looking for any kind of uh um help you could uh send my way. Um you know, it's re that is really common especially in in team sports. What sports does he play? Well, he doesn't play. He's a manager for a football team. There we go. Okay. Um so part of what you can really do to help him is is help him to see that you know he really has zero control here. 
um, a lot of the kids, you know, especially if you're on a team or your manager or your coaching, um, all you really do have control over is, you know, what you're doing and how well and how hard you're trying to, you know, teach these kids or help these kids that are on the team or playing and your other teammates. But that's really all you do have control over, you know, how the outcome of the game is is really out of your control. And if he's given 100% to what he's doing, that's his job and his role there. If he's given 100% to that, that's all he really can do. And anything outside of that is really out of his control. Um, I think helping him to kind of see that and come to terms with that is going to help him out. Um, again, you know, the dramatic reaction to, oh, please, give me a break, and try to switch topics really kind of helps get them out of their head a lot of the time. Um, it sounds mm-hmm. like he's taking a lot of this and putting it on his own shoulders. Uh, yes, he does. Thank you. You're very welcome. You know, the com- it, and it's so hard because, you know, like Chuck and myself, I mean, you know, we, like you said, you know, we're very involved parents and we, we want to be communicating, but there's always, you know, that feeling that we're just not getting it across or, you know, you feel like you're just not making the difference you need to make. Um, so, you know, like I asked you before, what are teens telling you that we're doing wrong? As parents? As parents. You know, I think that, you know, what I hear from the majority of kids and the issues that they take with their parents, um, you know, a lot of them, contrary to parental belief, is they're not spending enough time with their kids. Um, you know, the the kids at this stage, they don't want to spend time, but they need to. I mean, think about it as an adult, whether you had a good childhood or bad childhood, whether your parents are dead or alive, there's a part of you as an adult that needs your mom or your dad in your life right now. It's like that times a thousand, but it's not convenient for them. When you and what I see typically is parents will go in and say, "Hey, let's go do this," and they're like, oh, "I don't want to do that. I got plenty of other stuff I got to do. I got to do this and this." Um, you know, you open yourself up as a parent and you get stepped on. Um, you only go through that so many times before you go. You know what? I need this like a hole in my head. I'm just going to back off, give this kid some space, um, and not have to deal with this in the first place. But then there's a catch twenty two that comes from that. And the kids go, well, my mom or my dad really don't care about me, and then that just continues to make the relationship a lot, a lot, a lot more thinned out. Um, other kids report that you know their parents are pushing them way too hard. Um, you know, if your kid's doing decently in school, they're 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 working, and you know, there's a lot of the helicopter parents that are pushing their kids with school and just constantly on them every day about you know what they're doing, the scores they got on tests and quizzes. And it creates so much stress and discord between parents and their kids that, you know, parents to some extent need to back off a little bit on those areas. I've also got the kids who are upset with their parents who are critiquing them about their sports. Um, That drives kids nuts because, you know, they've got a coach. They don't need two. Um, And if you're doing that as a parent where you're constantly telling them what they're doing wrong, they just feel like they can't do anything right. And your job as a parent is to really support and empower your kids through that process. Um, You know, I see a lot of kids complaining about the status of their parents' relationship. Uh, the parents are the foundation of the family, and if you know they're not in a good place or if the parents are screaming or yelling, um, you know it's, it has a ripple effect throughout the whole family. It's like throwing a rock into a still pond. The, the ripples hit all the banks. Um, you know, th- those are pretty much the most common issues that I hear from teens on a regular basis. And, you know, and I'm so glad what you said before because, you know, it's, it, I think it's so important. I just would like you to say it again that, you know, anger sometimes presents as sadness, and sometimes, you know, sadness, you know, presents as anger. So, you know, what you see isn't always what you get with these kids. Um, yeah. You know, how, how 
how should a parent approach that? You know, say they have a child who they know has has been suppressing anger for either being bullied or you said, you know, before being molested or divorced, whatever the case may be. You know, how do you bring them out? Is that something a parent should do or should we leave that to um, a professional? Well, I think, you know, part of how you do that is is important. I mean, I think... You know, if if your kid's really angry, like I said before, you can't have a rational conversation with the irrational person regardless of who that is. Um, but what you want to do initially is, you know, if the kids get really upset and they're they're yelling, it's a natural parental instinct to start yelling and getting louder than your kid to try to bring them back down and get control of the situation. But all that really does serve to do is, I mean, it's like putting gas on a fire. The kid just elevates more and you guys fire through the roof together. So what I tell parents to do is talk much lower. If your kid elevates, go much lower to the point of a whisper. We're just saying, hey, all I'm saying is you got to do this or I'm really sorry I made you feel that way. Because for some of the kids, it's a habit. They don't even realize they're doing it when they're doing it. Um, and, you know, plus it's really awkward to have a conversation if you're up, they're up there and you're down below. They naturally have to bring themselves down to talk with you, and they're still emotionally connected with you, which means your voice is going to be pacifying for them. But if that doesn't work, you've got to take a break, and you've got to let the dust settle and reapproach it later. Um, oftentimes the kids are going to be a lot more receptive to talking with you if you can get them out of the environment. In your home is condition cues where you you go home, become mom and dad. They go home and become, you know, shut down, repressed son or daughter. So if you can get them out, take them to lunch, um, usually you get a lot more out of them. And if you're constantly taking right. control of the conversation, they're really not going to tell you much. They're going to give you the one-word utterances, good, fine, nothing, and then you're done. So, you know, teens today are so overstimulated they can't stay on downtime. So what's really important for parents is take your kid out. Um, you know, you can ask them a little bit about what's going on. If you want to hear what's happening with your kid, be quiet. Allow right. them to have control of the conversation. Right. Create anywhere between 30 seconds and three minutes of uncomfortable silence. They can't stand it. It starts to freak them out, and they'll start to panic and start throwing out stuff that's bothering them. I have a friend, right. and uh, and as long as you don't go pouncing on that as a parent um, and coax it out of them going, oh, no way, that's crazy. What do you think about that? Just keep it going. You'll get so much more information, as well as they'll feel good being able to talk to you without a response cost of you giving a lecture in return. Um, right. And, you know, I was going to say, parents need to do a lot more listening and a lot less talking. Um, you know, we only have two minutes left, but I think even harder than dealing with the anger is dealing with the sadness in a child. And, um, you know, that's just really tough when you just see your child's in pain and, you know, you're just trying to get them to open up. But, um, you know, I really want to thank you for joining us. You know, this, um, why don't you give us your website um, and where people can go and find out more about what you're doing because you do have incredible information. Thank you very much. Yeah, my website is www.drjerrywichman.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. It's uh, Dr. Jerry Weichman. Um, if parents are looking for free tips, I'm, I'm always throwing out stuff on a daily basis on Twitter for, for parents as well as for their kids. You are great on Twitter. Okay. Very accessible, so really. Uh, now, so I really want to thank you, and I just want to say that Dr. Weichman will be a guest of ours um, when we launch. Um, Lynn Ke- Dr. Lynn Kenny and I will be launching Talking Parenting, and uh, we're going to be picking your brains on a few other topics when you join us then. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Anytime. As we end the show each day.
You are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Go to drjerryweikman.com. You will love it. And follow him on Twitter. Thank you for joining us tonight, everybody. Thanks, Chuck.